Hey folks, welcome to episode 146 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode features Peter Butler. Peter Butler builds custom skis using art and engineering to create a medium to experience skiing. When you build something that people use to have an experience, your work, your art, and your point of view directly affects their experience doing what they love. It's like art embodied. Peter is a ski mountaineer, ski builder, and carpenter. He's been refining his ski building skills, creating niche skis for a range of purposes. Uh, In this episode, we get to talk about the process of building skis, pursuing your passion adjacent to a general skill, knowing what you prioritize as a hobby and profession, and ski mountaineering. Uh, Peter has also competed in some ski mountaineering events. And you can check out Peter's photos and ski builds on Instagram at the long ride. And I'll be sure to leave a link to that in the show notes. Without any further ado, here's Peter. All right, Peter. This is a beautiful day out, man. It's completely blue skies. It's gorgeous, isn't I'm it? I'm loving it. Yeah. You live really close to Snoqualmie Pass Ski Resort, huh? It's like 20 minutes away. Yeah, it's it's about 20 minutes. It's... um. It's all like freeway, so it's it's fast. Oh yeah. wow, yeah, that's quick. Yeah, is that intentional? It is, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I decided to move here for a bit to train for the the skimo racing. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what ra- wait, what's skimo racing? It's like uh, it's short for ski mountaineering racing, and it's like um, it's a lot bigger in Europe than it is over here. There's a couple races, one up at Alpenthal actually, um, the end of March maybe, mm-hmm. but it's like ski mountaineering racing, so. It's sort of like backcountry skiing where you skin up and then you rip your skins and you ski down, you know, like as a race. And they sort of throw in like technical bits with, you know what via fraud is where you have like the, the carabiners on your harness to clip into ropes yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Stuff like that. Oh, they do? Yeah. Wait, what? So is it like, would that be something you do going up and you'd like skin and then take your skis off and then do something like that? And do like a technical bit? Yeah. Yeah. Like with rocks and sort of scrambling things. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Is there a lot of good terrain in that area for that? Oh, up here? Yeah. Uh, they don't they don't really do the Via Frada bits in the States as much as they do in Europe. That's more of like a, Whoa. a European thing. But. Is that and is that something that you want to get into like to that degree? To where you're doing like Via Ferradas and stuff like that, more technical bits? To like race in Europe? Uh-huh. Um sort of. It's it's difficult to like maintain that level of athleticism to race with the competition. Yeah, because you, you have to make that that compromise because you, you would have to be training a lot right yeah for and, sure and when you when you train it really anything or you aspire to get good at something you you only have so much time right so it's like a compromise of of how you want to spend your time and even if you like to ski you might not want to do the actual skiing itself as much as it requires or you might not want to have the lifestyle constraints that would be required to compete at that level right yeah to compete it at the level where you're racing in europe a lot yeah it's mm-hmm. got to be like that's that's the thing you do with your life for a while at least would you ever if if you could would you like that kind of scenario or would you not like to be skiing that much or training that much oh it would certainly be like a cool thing to do with your life um i think you have to like there's a few things that have to connect together like you have to live in a place that it's possible and i think like you have to be like to be that kind of an athlete you can't just choose to train that much like you have to have like the genetic stock and like i mean 
it's hard to race at like an international level like that, yeah. It's an interesting thing that you have where it's not always about just what you love, right? It's about what you have the opportunity to do in a combination with a little bit of what you love. Because you kind of got to be realistic, right? Because if you're to like, if you were in Europe, I imagine that's something that's a higher opportunity and higher likelihood and easier thing to access professionally. But then being like over all the way out here, imagine the barrier to entry makes it difficult. But the cool thing about that is, is, is I would imagine there's a lot of alternatives um, or alternative roles in schema and, and skiing, like uh, building the equipment or teaching people how to do that kind of stuff. Right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it's definitely it's a growing sport here in the United States mm -hmm. for sure. And yeah, like you're talking about, like there's there's opportunities in that. Like it's um, like there's, you know, opportunities to teach younger people, like to get communities connected with it, that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. for sure, yeah. And, and even if you had to def defer to doing those kinds of things, it's interesting because it's like a rising tide raises all ships. Like you might have to build the community out a little more, help it along, and then in the future, there's more opportunities that grow from there, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and is there a pretty big ski mountaineering community here in uh, Washington, Snoqualmie area? Um, not so much, as far as like the the racing community in the United States, it's mostly Colorado, Utah. Mm -hmm. There's a few people that kind of race competitively around here, but most people are just sort of, you know, backcountry skiers for the most part. Yeah. Is that something that you were interested in out the get go of skiing or how did your, um, the arc of, of your like ski journey go? <laughs> <laughs> oh, like going from like learning to ski to backcountry skiing to yeah. this. Um, it's a really cool sport to watch in movies. It's like, or like the short clips on YouTube. It's amazingly exciting, you know, like high speed crashes and stuff like that. Yeah, it's kind of entertaining. Um, so like you see those kind of things, or at least I saw those kind of things and it looks like super fun sport. And then I, I raced like cross country in college, like competitively for the university. So you like, you've got the fitness to kind of try sports like this. Mm -hmm. And I tried it out. It's, it's pretty fun. and sort of went with it from there. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Um, at cross country skiing, did you have to do like the um, the kick glides and stuff? Oh, um, I raced like cross country and track. Oh, oh, okay. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, like you would if you were racing cross country oh, skiing. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that there's like a, a parallel or an overlap in the joy that you get out of running and skiing, or do you feel like they're very divergent in like how you enjoy them or the things you enjoy about them? About skiing and running, I think that they're pretty different in that. Like running, I don't know, people do it for all sorts of reasons. Um, you just like walk out your door and go for a run. And skiing is like, you know, this joy of like flowing down a hill, like um, ripping through powder, that kind of thing. And running is sort of like the joy of, I don't even know, like, you know, like tunnel vision, pushing yourself hard, mm -hmm. um, the endurance aspect of that. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Like pushing against that physical resistance. Yeah, something like that, yeah. The, um, for, what's your profession? Um, I, I build skis. That's, that's why I'm here, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, I'm a, a carpenter as well. I do like kitchen remodels, finished carpentry and stuff like that. And then I'm a student at the moment, uh, master's in mechanical engineering. Yeah. How'd you get into carpentry? I, I spent a summer working with a, a, a good family friend. He's, he's been a carpenter for a really long time. Very nice guy. Really liked working for him. Um, and I worked with a couple other guys and then sort of moved out onto my own a little bit, um, did some remodels on my own. Yeah. 
Is that the general progression is full of like being a carpenter to where you, you get to the point to where you get to start um, doing your own jobs? Definitely. Yeah, it, it, it seems like that. Like people will, it's almost like an apprenticeship with an older guy or gal um, who, who's been in it for a long time and can teach them, you know, codes and the way you set up a business account with a store, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Did you view... Um, Minus the excitement level, probably. But did you view carpentry like you did skiing in terms of learning? Like, did you approach it with the same veracity and, like, passion? Oh, um, no, no, probably not. Just because it's, like, it, it was a job. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like it's a way to make money, and skiing is, is a hobby, and there to have fun on the weekends. Yeah. Um, I just, sometimes I find it an interesting situation where like we have like work and not to denigrate this but um if you have work and you have like the the way that we some people approach work and learning the skills and work right sure and how you view the achievement of like excellence yeah or um, becoming really skilled in that and then and all the energy we put towards that but then you oh, see, see something where you get like go to like martial art you go to like skiing and there is a professional avenue there but the way that people approach that, they're like researching all on their own time. They're all like excited to go there. <laughs> That's me they're trying yeah. really hard. They're trying to be like effective and efficient so yeah. they can get the most out of their time. But you never really see that like, or I don't ever really see that pointed towards these other kinds of things. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. I totally get where you're going with that. Um, yeah. Like, like trying to connect your, your hobby and what you like doing with your time with your, with your career sort of thing. Yeah. 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 And, and yeah. And, and carpentry is is probably not that way. Um, yeah, like like most people view it as their job, their profession. It's it's how they make their living. Sort of thing. Even when I see someone passionate, like I've met somebody who was passionate about, I think it was carpentry or masonry. It was about building houses, sure. though. Um, and they mainly did like the porches, like he poured concrete. Nice, yeah. Um, and there was, I didn't realize, though, like if you looked at that on paper and um, the way he described it, it was like a martial art or like skiing. Like it was like a bottomless amount of learning to be done. Um, and you can get to the point to where you have like creative expression, right? Mm-hmm. You're not just utilitarianly um, building things sure. just for the sake of yeah, use yeah. and cost. And I was like, wow. And the way that he talked about that, like he was so passionate about it. Sure. But, um, but I realized that I would work in like the minting industry. Uh, I've worked in the hospital industry mm-hmm. where I was doing like food service and food service in the minting industry. I had to take tests to be able to like prove my competence mm-hmm. and they gave me the answers to the tests while I took yeah, the yeah. tests so that I don't fail. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like, there's all these other things that I really want. I want to get my like blue belt and jujitsu or whatever, you know, like a few years ago. And the like the amount of effort I put into that, the amount of commitment and dedication I put into that was like ten times the amount that I would for this forklift thing. And it's not that and forklift driving's cool. Like it could be cool. <laughs> they just never sell it that way. It's never something like, oh, son, guess what I get to go do? What? Drive a forklift? Yeah. yeah. No, it's like oh, I gotta go take this stupid test. I already know how to do this. It's like, <laughs> and sure. I imagine like if you put that amount of like gumption into whatever it is that you do, or mm-hmm. find that thing that that brings it out in you and treat it as a profession um you wouldn't even like have a a more positive constructive lifestyle i would imagine you would service the people 
a lot better, you know? Oh, yeah. Certainly. I think you would, yeah, you'd get a better product out of it if you, that was really what you enjoyed doing, yeah. And you kind of, with the ski building, isn't it, that's almost like a combination to two of the things, like one thing that you, you built this very useful and productive skill from carpentry, right? Mm-hmm. And a crossover between that and something that you really love is skiing. Yeah, yeah. And you, so for ski building for you, it's something that, that you really enjoy? I really, yeah, I really do like doing it. Um, you know, like like taking a, a concept that you and your friends kind of come up with and sort of like, you know, working it through the series and trying to make a final product and then testing it. It's, it's, it's really enjoyable, yeah. And I think you have a really cool dynamic because carpentry is something that if you, if you, you need to make money, there's a demand for carpentry. Mm-hmm. And I imagine doing carpentry helps teach you skills for ski building. To... To some limited degree, yes. To some limited degree. And if you, and you could try to have a process of, I want to be a ski builder, but you can kind of hold both of them, you know, on, in both hands. Oh, yeah. I could certainly see that, yeah. Like, they, they definitely would complement each other in that, you know, carpentry, you, you make your own hours, you're your own boss. Um, yeah, you, like, pick up a job here, you, I guess you could build some skis there type thing. Yeah, that would work. And so in carpentry, you figured that you, you really enjoy the process of making things? Yeah, yeah, it's it's really enjoyable to um, be able to build something and then, you know, at the end, sit back and see, like, I actually, you know, I'm the one that made that. Like, I physically made made progress on something. Yeah, that's enjoyable. Was that a, um, was that something that was really thought out, this, like, attempt at being a professional ski builder and, like, doing and working with your hands and building things like that? Or did you stumble upon that passion or interest on accident? Oh, I don't think, I mean, I think a person could be, you know, decide to be a, a carpenter with their, with their life, with their career. I don't think a person could necessarily sit back and be like, I'm going to build skis with my life. That's sort of something you, you stumble into. It's sort of a weird mm-hmm. niche mm-hmm. aspect. Um, but as far as like, if I've, if I've realized that I like building things myself and designing things myself, I think that's probably like, as long as I've been aware of what, you know, what career you're choosing for yourself. Yeah. I think I've. I've probably known that. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you just like finding different opportunities that satisfy you in that way then. Sure, yeah. Makes sense. Is, um, so is ski building something like, what, what's the, uh, what's it like to build skis? Like what goes into it? Like like the process of building them? Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's, it's a bit complicated. Um, mm-hmm. You have, you know, like a series of layers that you, you glue together in a press. Everyone's probably familiar with that. Um, and, you know, you can change different aspects out to get a, a ski that feels a certain way or matches a certain weight or, or looks a certain way. What are, what are some of the, the big levers that change the feel of the ski in the design process? So there's like the fiber composite that you, you know, provides the structure for the ski. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the traditional ones are carbon fiber and fiberglass. And the ratios of which you put those into the ski and like the orientation of what the fibers are laid along the ski's length, mm-hmm. that drastically changes the feel of the ski or the way the ski performs in different types of snow. Is it because of the flexing of the? Yeah, that that'll change your your flex profile greatly, like how you how you tune those those fiber aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like your torsional rigidity is like how strong the ski is if you twisted it, or the longitudinal rigidity is how strong it is if you flexed it in entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and tuning those plays with the, the ski ski ability to a great deal. And then there's the core material, you know, like what the, the structure of the core 
or the, the structure of the ski is inside in between the two fiber layers. Mm -hmm. And you, you know, you can switch out cores and play around with running stringers of different core materials. Um, and that, that changes the weight of the ski and hence its performance on different snow types to a great deal as well. Um, and do you, when you're doing these things, are you having different snow types in mind when you're making a ski? Yes, definitely. Oh, okay. And different like quiver, like you're familiar with the term quiver, right? Like a quiver For backpacks, of skis. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, like a, like a, a different quiver design for each one. Like this is designed specifically for, you know, firm snow, spring conditions. This one's designed specifically for hop turns on steeps. This one's designed specifically for extremely low density powder, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. definitely like where the design starts. Oh, yeah. Okay. And um, when you're doing these cores and stuff, um, mainly the cores, are you committed to how you construct that ski? Meaning that you cannot alter it like the, the core, or like these major components of the ski uh -huh. after you built it? Yeah, like when I, you know, I, let's say I come up with an idea and I'm like, I mean, it's not really production because my business is so small, but I'm like, I'm going to take this, this ski type into production. Um, yeah, like you'll, you know, each core is designed for each ski and ski length sort mm -hmm. of thing, like each um, lineup, let's per se. And yeah, once you, once you start delving into constructing that specific ski you're going to you know cut and sand the, the core to the the right shape and size that it works when you start to construct it yeah i see and when you're building these um is there what's the what's the room for for creativity here and ingenuity like are you using do you have to follow like constraints of a template or are there like um, alterations that you come up with and think up on your own to create a different skiing experience? Sure. I think in, in my, my small little ski business, the, the room for making, you know, new ideas or new skis is, is sort of limitless. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm constrained by, you know, the current technology, like the materials available, I suppose. And like the size of my ski press, things like that. But like, as far as like shapes or materials I'm using, I can kind of, you know, use whatever I want, try experiment with whatever I want. Oh, yeah. okay. And did you have to get a lot of, did you have to get specialized equipment to be able to build the skis or did you make some of that equipment yourself? Yeah, it's, it's there's a lot of specialized equipment um, involved, like more than any other home building aspect that I'm aware of. Wow. So you have like a, a rigid press, mm -hmm. um, you have a, a base grinder to, to tune the base after you've you know pressed the ski and completed it. Um, you have a, a stone grinder to put like this this texture on the bases of the skis so that they are more efficient at sliding. Um, a big you, like are you familiar with the term CNC machine? Yeah, yeah. I, I just bought a large one of those for you know cutting each of the the material types out to size and shape for each of the skis. Mm -hmm. um, and there's you know like a lot of hand tools woodworking tools, lots of those kind of things. They're all, all involved in processing the materials to get them ready to, to lay out. Yeah. And um, I don't know if it's an appropriate question, but what is your, um, what are your, some of your favorite materials to use in, in, when building skis? Ooh, I actually kind of like this question. So I really, I really enjoy working with wood cores. I mean, it's sort of a, a industry standard, but processing wood, it's just sort of like a you know, like you work with wood when you're a kid and you, you know, do all these woodworking projects and shaping wood and stuff like that is sort of entertaining. Um, there's a, a wood called Polonia. It's, I think it's native to somewhere in Southeast Asia, but it's, it's sold fairly widely now. 
Um, it's low density. It shapes beautifully. It's like, in my opinion, the best ski core material, and I use it a lot. Um, and then for the fiber, um, I've really people like the industry standard is fiberglass, just because it's cheap, durable, um, skis really well. People use carbon fiber as well. I do too. Um, but they both they're like there's like a, a respiratory hazard because it's like a fiber dust. These small little pointy pieces of glass and stuff Ooh. that if you you know when you're sanding and cutting it if you inhale it it's it's really hard on your lungs but there's flax fiber mm -hmm. like from the stems of flax plants and it doesn't share those respiratory hazards wow. and it's significantly stiffer than glass it's it's damper than glass like the vibration damping capacity mm -hmm. um i really like working with that because you don't have to worry about the toxicity and stuff like that yeah wow that's really cool yeah is it uh, more expensive as uh, materials cost yeah, it, it definitely is way more expensive than glass. Certainly. But then I imagine, is it, is it more sustainable since it's made out of flax or is that just? Yeah. Down? Yeah, that's like if someone to make, if someone were to design like a, a ski with, you know, ecological impact in mind, mm -hmm. you could you could certainly start swapping things out like, you know, glass for flax and that, that it's biodegradable. It, you know, it doesn't come from a, um, a giant vat in a processing plant, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And there's, uh, what's, what is, ta how does taper affect the skis? Like the, the taper of the depth of the core? Yeah, the taper of the depth of the core. So, like, I mean, we're, we're familiar with the, the shape of the ski already, right? Like it's thick underfoot where the bindings go, mm -hmm. and it's thin in the tip and the tail. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just sort of how skis, you know, ubiquitously are. And the, the general design purpose behind that is... You know, the, the ski is has a softer flex in the tip and the tail and is stiff underfoot. Mm -hmm. um, and that that is just like how a, a ski performs, you know, same with a snowboard. Um, and you can like when I'm designing a ski or, or building it, you can play with the stiffness like that. You can, you know, start to make the, the tip a little thicker and you'll get a stiffer tip. You can start to thin the tip. You'll get a, a softer tip. You can thicken the core underfoot. You'll get a, a ski that's stiffer overall. Mm -hmm. It's stuff like that. How does the stiffness overall on a ski affect its right its um, riding experience? Yeah, so like a softer ski, the the general knowledge is that it's it's more forgiving, works better for um, beginners. A stiffer ski has you know a more precise edge is is better for experts. Um, and sort of a, a general skiing knowledge. I I like a stiff ski personally. When you start getting to sort of niche things like like steep skiing for instance uh, a, a, a very round flex with a stiff torsional edge is really good for hop turns mm -hmm. um, you know then you you switch over to like schema racing like a, a stiff tail and a softer nose is good for like dropping in straight lines like there's like you know an infinite wow. number of different ways you can tune these things to match certain skiing styles and applications that's wild yeah. And for people in your experience, like who in your circles who ski or even sure. customers, do they, does a person like on average find a way they like to ski? Uh, obviously, I know we're not talking about like seasonal differences, yeah. but a way they like to ski and just kind of like stick with that. And you got like a customer who's like, yes, yeah, uh, for sure. People will, people will be like, you know, I want a ski for meadow wiggling and powder sort mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. And people are like, that's that's what I enjoy doing. And other people will be like, I, you know, I, I want to ski for spring mountaineering sort of thing. Yeah. Wow. So that's a cool relationship you get to be in. You get to like understand what kind of ex 
like who the person is and what their style is as yeah. a skier, and then you get to create this this thing for them that they that they get to go and have that experience with, and it's like customized to your interpretation of um, what they need out of the ski. Yeah, and I really like doing that. That's that's part of the the fun and the joy of, of building skis for people. Wow. It's trying to build things that will will match their needs as as well as I can as well as I can build for them. Yeah. How do you how did you figure out the the little nuances and design that would better suit a ski for a particular kind of um, you know like riding experience or snow quality? Did you have a mentor or um, or just like learning as you go? Sure, I, I've been skiing for a while, um, and I, I like to think I'm getting sort of reasonably good at it. Um, <laughs> Wait, how long have you been skiing for? Well, I mean, it's sort of sort of hard because you know, I've been skiing since like you know you can stand up with my parents sort of thing. But oh, I got a in, long way to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so like I've been doing it for a while, and I, I'm I'm okay at it. Um, mm -hmm. And I've I've been participating in the types of skiing that people are asking me to build skis for for you know quite a while, like spring mountaineering and steep skiing stuff like that. So I like to think that that I've gotten an idea of what performs well in those scenarios um and then of course like friends give me feedback um you know people would be like I, I like this i didn't like that like it's sort of it's taken a while but I, I i think that i've sort of accumulated enough knowledge that i'm kind of aware of um yeah like like what what different type of ski will will best suit different scenarios the best yeah now i'm just probably like geeking out a lot but i just think it's so magical that there's like somebody who's able to take this like feeling and experience and um, interpret that and turn it into a tangible material or tangible design that can improve their overall experience and that you can over time make incremental improvements aiming at a greater and greater like thing. Sure. You know, and it never actually like, or might have in, in other places, but it's like it hasn't existed other than this like, concept you have in your mind and that you keep bringing into reality and refining over time through your experience in the outdoors and then going into like a garage and all that's like fictional in the sense that you're like taking these materials and you're applying this like abstract order to it to achieve this experience and everyone can like feel um and, and experience as long as it fits them um what you're doing like, you, you, you know what I mean? Like, if you make a, a painting, right? Uh -huh. You can infer and interpret, and the painting can make you feel something. Yeah. But, like, your art form is, um, is like, your relationship with skiing itself mm -hmm. and, and how you create materials that can share that experience and share, like, your, your philosophy behind that or your material design. Sure. And like, everyone can not just look at it and have an emotional reaction. They can, like ride it and they can feel it and bond with it and it can become a part of their life yeah yeah i guess you could you could word it that way um i'm not sure if i'm a you know as amazing an artist as that but um <laughs> yeah like yeah i'm i'm trying to make the best product that i can with with the materials available for each of the people that that want to use my skis yeah and you you apply like not just you i see this in a, quite a few other people who are like makers out there right like making bike frames mm -hmm. and, sure. and all these other kinds of things um but you have a genuine interest in trying to improve yeah and, and that's what i find really compelling and that's kind of what i was talking about about work in general 
was that like the the energy that you bring and like the the curiosity and the drive to like grow and mm-hmm. to learn is like palpable yeah and nobody well i mean they, they do for to buy skis but nobody really like pays you to, you weren't motivated because you have to make a living in that sense no Just no wanted to do it yeah it's really enjoyable to me yeah yeah and and knowing that like when you make skis that person has been actively trying to improve this thing like you know in relation to other people you know you might not be like a michelangelo right Mm -hmm. but like just to your own self like in relation to you and i yeah you actually make things that improve your experience and that's i think a really cool thing to do um and it's cool that it's tangible that people can actually share that yeah yeah making like a physical physical object is is always you know like something that you can use you can see you know pick up heft like that's that's definitely one of the cooler aspects yeah and um like you were saying like trying to make the best product you can you know like going through iterations like that's part of the the fun of it all like Mm -hmm. trying to better the product as you you know work through this ski didn't work very well this one worked great i'm gonna combine these aspects like that's that's the fun of it yeah and that's what like i don't care what it is and who you are when you do that like that's a magical thing to see, in my opinion, because sure. it affects all of us. Mm-hmm. Like I even I've seen your skis being ridden by a variety of people, and it's like, wow, it's part of their life now, you know. Uh-huh. And yes, I think it's cool. But uh, and I hope more people are like inspired to do those kinds of things. Because looking at yourself, like you didn't really have a dog in the race, and you're not. I'm gonna. This is how I'm gonna make all my money. You know, you're <laughs> just like. And it seems like with the the tools alone, I imagine it happened over time. But it seems like you're very invested in the thing. Yeah, yeah. Despite it not being the thing that's making you a living. And I hope that for people, and including myself really, is like you see more things like that and you're like, oh, I can make like, I can make something. I can go figure out how to make something and share <laughs> sure. with some other people. Yeah, yeah. What am I interested in? What do I have some expertise in? And how can I design something mm-hmm. that I can use that expertise? And that's what I find like people, I know with like the, not like politics or much or anything like that, but with like coronavirus, people would talk about like doing certain forms of recreation as like, um, it's like people doing this like senseless forms of recreation and, um, and going out in public and stuff, right? As okay. if it were just like something that you do just because it's fun and there's no value to it. Sure. Right? But there is like, not saying that like people should just go do whatever and not think about like gathering or anything, but I think there's a real push and pull because those things do have merit and value even if they are something you do as a hobby. Yeah. But if you're able to take your hobby and somehow create value out of it, it's just, it's fascinating to me because that's like one step closer to that, that kind of lifestyle of like pursuing what you're passionate about, Mm -hmm. but also like you only can advocate for so many professionals in a field. You only can advocate for so many professional competitors. Yeah. yeah. For in, if I were to tell someone who like might not be genetically gifted, um, like, yeah, you should do whatever you want to do and really pursue it. You know, like you might have to do some work you don't want to do, get a job. Yeah. But, like you could work up to being passionate, but man, like that's not really, that's not everybody yeah. who wants to do the things. They might not be genetically gifted. They might want to be sure. a basketball player. They're really short, but like how, how can you still take that and have an anti-fragile approach and be like, well, despite the, the cards I was dealt, how can I make a lifestyle out of this? And seeing you, it's like. Although you're not making money from it, right? Like uh-huh. to live off of it. But you see that that can be a way. You can yeah. find a way to build stuff or to teach within your um, your interests. Sure, yeah. Yeah, like finding a way to connect to to your hobbies. Um, yeah, like like you're talking about basketball. Someone who, who isn't genetically 
predisposed to being a competitor, but maybe they're, you know, like a basketball newscaster or they write the articles for magazines type thing. Like there's certainly lots of ways to, you know, find your profession in a way that it's connected to the things that you really, really enjoy about your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think another one that I take after you is, is also holding things that are adjacent to those interests. And so that if they don't work out, you at least have carpentry. And it's like relatively similar. Right? Oh, yeah, it's always a good backup, I suppose. Do you, so knowing that you're going to school um, for mechanical engineering, mm -hmm. um, do you have like, uh, what, what's your pro plan professionally from there? Is it to go into ski building or do you, do you have an idea of where you're going? Yeah, originally um, the idea was just sort of, you know, uh, the outdoor industry in general, like like the designing the, you know, like the backpack that's sitting on the ground next to us. Mm -hmm. um, like just, I, I wasn't quite sure what, but, you know, the, the products that we use to be in the outdoors. But now it's sort of, I'm sort of uh, invested, I guess you could say, in ski building enough that that's, that's become the focus is like, you know, get this degree so you become, you know, an actually like an actual engineering professional, and then you can kind of, you know, work your way into the ski industry. Yeah. yeah. And I, I look to those, the bike frame builders, because like Mike Kuriak, mm -hmm. um, like he's like a big adventure sports guy, and his whole business model is he sells bike rims. Sure. And that's, but that's, he's been an entrepreneur and been doing that for 20 years. Yeah. And that's all he does. And he makes a living off of that. What? Bike rims? Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And they're expensive, but he's like, there's there's a reason behind a lot of that because you see in the industry, um, as far as I know, I don't know much, but the, the rims are always something that is, um, they don't spend a lot of money on when they're delivering a, a bike package, right? When you're buying a bicycle. Oh, okay. That like makes sense. The yeah. rims are going to probably be the cheapest thing. And what you find is, is like, I, I forget what the exact thing is, is like two pounds in your, or two pounds on your back or like four pounds on your feet or whatever. Yeah. When you're accelerating a, a rim, like rotationally, it makes a, a much larger difference in the exactly. overall. Exactly. Yeah. And so if you're going to have a bike, if you actually are looking at, you're not looking at getting like a, an aluminum frame or a carbon fiber frame, really, if you're going to spend money, you'd want to spend money on the, the rims for that reason because of the rotational. Yeah, and the crank set and the cassette and stuff like that. Yeah, because yeah. they're, they're undergoing rotation. And you, you realize that um, that then if you want to be the person that makes like makes like the best or a really good version of that, there's space there. Or at least you could try. Sure. Could try. And like for me, it's like, wow, there's one component out of the bicycle. And this guy took that one component and he learned how to do it because he really specializes in fat tire bikes uh -huh. and he took that and he learned how to make that really well yeah yeah and, and then he found out a way to make a living off of that but like you're making a living off of just one small component in your your small business like i feel like he's like a few steps ahead of you in the sense of being an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and a maker but doing thing that's something that i think is i thought was like unrealistic and very unlikely yeah, yeah. but it's cool to me that he found out a way to, to make that happen for himself in like he seems to almost thrive in that environment where it's like figure out how to make this lifestyle work. Sure. And there seems to be certain people, maybe not certain people, just certain times in your life or, or what have you or preferences that really like that kind of thing where it's like you got to make it all happen some way. Figure it out. <laughs>
honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it seems like isn't carpentry kind of like that when you start working for yourself is like the onus is on you to get the work and to set your hours and to be your own boss. Oh, sure. Yeah. You've got to be very self-motivated, but that's, that's part of why it's, um, that's part of why I thought it was you know, a nice way of making a living. Yeah. That's something that was very comforting to me as, uh, when I was in the restaurant industry and working a bunch of jobs like that, just, you know, r random jobs. Um, I was not a very like good employee and mm -hmm. want to be there very much. And like, I didn't want to sweep the floor for the second time in the day. Yeah. I always thought there was something wrong with me. And I realized like, oh, if I can, I shouldn't work for other people, maybe with other people. Yeah. But like, I need to be my own boss. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That definitely fits some people for mm -hmm. sure. Being your own boss. Yeah. And I think exploring that's kind of something fun mm -hmm. in that way. Um, the have you do you have any people that you look up to or like mentors or anything like that in the ski building industry? Like, what does that look like? Oh, um, not, not really. Like, it's not really like a, I mean, skiing, like building skis on industrial scale is a large industry, but like on a, a smaller scale, mm -hmm. like it's not really like that large of a community per se. Uh, um, so there aren't like, you know, that many people to, to look up to. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's always kind of been for me at least just kind of like, you know, plugging away all by myself, trying to like figure how the skis work and how you construct them and stuff like that. It's never really been like, you know, with other people. Um, how did you, how do you learn um, certain skill sets in skiing? Did you spend a lot of time figuring it out on your own or did you seek mentorship there? Like, oh, learning so how to ski physically? Mm -hmm. um, I transitioned. Sure. Okay. Sweet. Uh, that, that was, it's largely on my, uh, my own as well. I'm sort of like a low wolf here, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I really like to learn on my own. I found that out within martial arts is like, I, it's really hard for me to internalize the information and like get into the learning process sure. and like when I'm doing jujitsu, it's good practice for me. But when I really learn is when I'm like left alone with something yeah. and then I can come back and share it with people. Like, cause I'm, I'm trying not to eliminate socializing entirely out of my process, Yeah. but it's like, if I could take, like, you could tell me information and be like, you know, you got to do this and ski and like, I could take notes down and then uh -huh. if I can go away and be by myself and, and practice those things, yeah. I learn at such a higher rate than if I were in your company. And for me personal, um, I just get so obsessed with like me in relationship to you. Like, oh, I'm screwing up or oh, like getting all nervous, you know, that, <laughs> like, one way of looking at it, yeah. it, it takes, um, it really takes my, my head out of the learning process. And my belief is, is like, that's probably a strength of mine is to learn on my own. Cause I don't need someone breathing over my shoulder. Sure. But the jujitsu keeps me in check. Cause I'm like, well, I do sometimes probably gotta be around people, but it's, it's nice knowing that because like I was even offered a position that in, you know, martial arts uh -huh. and it puts me in somewhere that I'd really like to be. I guess I could, you can maybe think of this in skiing, right? Um, it puts me in somewhere I like to be, but the the terms I didn't really like, I realized. And it was like showing up every single day and being the head of this community and being directly involved with all these people. Mm -hmm. I felt like at the end of the day or the end of my class, like, you know, classes, I needed to go and be alone. And yeah. Like, that's really hard for my lifestyle because in my free time, that's the time that I have to spend a lot with a lot of people because I'm a father. Sure. And, and I want to be, you know, being social. Yeah. Um, which I found that very interesting, but reflecting on it, it was like realizing um, that maybe I like to work on my own. I realized that, oh, 
I if, if I could spend a great amount of time on working on my own, that's the best environment that works for me. Yeah, I, I think you and I might share being introverted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, yeah, like working alone as an introvert is definitely, you know, you sort of need that aspect most of the time. Um, yeah. Yeah. I imagine for me anyways, it's it's very satisfying to be able to like whittle hours away alone on like this really cool project. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I never get like sad or bored or yeah. anything like that. It's like it's our one skill. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just finding a way an excuse to do it, I yeah. guess. <laughs> um and is there oh, what inspired the artwork that you do on the skis? Oh. Um is that your artwork? Some of it is. I'm not the best artist. Some of it is friends of mine and then the thing that I stick on most of my skis at the moment, my my father drew that, my dad, Whoa. that snowy owl. Um, and then I put little phrases on the tails mm-hmm. and those are kind of like, like some of them are like turns of phrases from, you know, places I've visited in the world. Um, you know, like in the, like some of them are in Swedish, some of them are in Swiss German, some of them are in Italian, stuff like that. Um, and I, I just kind of like the, the sentiment behind the little phrases. Mm. And then the art, like I, I sort of have a, a trend of, of birds just because, you know, like birds are you know, like swoop and in skiing you swoop and, um, you know, the snowy owl kind of connects because it's snowy and it's silent and you're ripping through powder. I don't know. I feel like they kind of like all sort of connect into skiing a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. You almost like embody the traits of those animals or like think of sort the of. traits of those animals with yeah. that. Yeah. That's rad, man. Yeah. Um, is there anywhere that people can find out more about your skis or anything? It's it's pretty small. Um, I'm sort of on the edge of scaling up a little bit. So I guess you could look for a website. My proposed name is Corax Composite Technologies. Corax, like like the Raven. Um, so if you look that up at some point, there'll probably be a website to find and to buy skis and ice tools and stuff like that. Yeah. Ooh, ice tools too? Yeah, I, I, I play around with the prototyping other things. There's a lot of other activities I, I like doing. So That's really – so yeah. that's cool because then it's more of an extension of your desire to make things in that you like yeah. in that environment. Yeah, I've, I've had that um, – I even thought about that with like packs and stuff because it's – I've seen – there's this lady that I um, – I guess that I follow. It's kind of weird. But um, she makes packs all the time. Oh, yeah, like, like sews them herself. Yeah, sure. and just makes them all from the ground up. And I didn't realize that – well, I mean, obviously you could do that. Someone manufactures them, but I didn't realize that that's like a thing and there's a lot of customizability there and, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, that seems like it's a another sort of, I guess we could call these cottage industries, right? Like mm-hmm. um, like sewing packs, sewing sleeping bags, tents. It seems like that's kind of a, a viable industry at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And, it's, um, and it's interesting because you can even take up that like, that niche aspect of it where, because... Another thing that you'd see, I saw it in bikes, was mm-hmm. like, it didn't make sense to me um, that you have, like, first bike you have are these, like, maybe I'm getting this wrong, but mass-manufactured bikes, quality isn't really that great, but it's literally the cheapest thing that you could sit your butt on. And then you you have, like, ma- mass-manufactured bikes sure. that are, like, um, designed to spec, like yeah. a mountain bike that could actually ride down the trails as opposed to, like, I know you can get one from Walmart, but... People still keep telling me if I get one from Walmart, it'll fall apart on like some <laughs> trails. Uh, um, and then, and then there's this like other one where I have like my buddy from Myth Cycles, where he makes literally custom bikes, and um, and he makes them all in a small little shop here in 
in, or in Colorado. Yeah. And, like, I know we have this whole, like, made in America thing, but then there's this other thing where it's, like, you're a single person or less than 10 people and you're mm-hmm. making all this custom. Um, that seems like such a fun relationship to be in as someone who makes stuff, man. I imagine oh, yeah. it would be, like, even, like, my friend that I told you builds houses. Like, he'd tell me, oh, yeah, when you have someone who's, like, yeah, here's my budget. Like, I want, we want to build some really cool stuff. And then you get to start bringing out, like... Like, you actually get some creativity mixed in. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. And having that, seeing that as, like, in any of these, like, a pack or, like, um, a bike or mm-hmm. a ski, something that you like to do and finding a way to take up, like, the design process and manuf- or design process, knowing that you don't need a big facility because you could take up the small niche of doing, like, custom sure. things is is really cool i yeah. think it's actually something i want to do so that's why i'm getting all excited about it but <laughs> it's cool for people out there because i hope that they see that there's um, potential you know yeah yeah but um yeah thank you so much i appreciate you doing this man sure yeah thanks Woo! thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast i love talking to people who are um like makers right where they 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 do these experiences and they um practice like solving problems um maybe improving the things that they have with um their creativity curiosity and technical ability to design and as you go from my understanding you just like you know you you continue to grow in that vein as you put attention and awareness and life is you know finite right there's only like 12 slices of the pizza and if you want to like kick some ass and be the fastest it like whoever spends all 12 slices of the pizza on that's going to be the best you know but for some of us if you don't if that's not really your game right if you start to regret the more slices of pizza you dedicate to Um, pure competitiveness or maybe pure teaching, there's a lot of other ways to be able to contribute and participate and be a part of that community and activity um, with a mixture of adjacent interests. And that's where I find like personal discovery can be found the framework of the activities that you love to do, where it's like, you know, you might not want to be like shredding every day, but teaching might be really fun. Um, you might not want to deal with like the social activities of teaching all the time. So maybe you build things, right? And you learn how to balance all of these things and, and, and attack them in every which way. And I've found that people have, there's been examples in my life where people have done that in the variety of sports that they had. Maybe they teach a little in one sport and play a little more in the other and maybe build in this sport. And it's just interesting to see how these personality types and interests um, play out over all of the different roles that are available and potential. Peter was really cool, and he makes some really nice skis. I love his designs. They're like... Very effective, I would say, and eloquent. Uh, you can check those out at uh, on Instagram at the Long Ride, and I'll be sure to leave the link to that in on in the show notes and the website becominghumanpodcast.com. And I'm gonna play you out with a song by Christoph Crane. 
<clears throat> called Shine On. I hope you guys are getting stoked for the ensuing spring. I sure am. I'm off to Utah for a few weeks. This is like, what, Mar- the beginning of March now. So I haven't really explored Utah before. And we're going to go in the canyons and stuff. So it'll be cool. <laughs> Have a good week. Bye. Came to water more seeds. Came to cut through fat. Came to water more seeds. Came to cut through fat. Came to water more seeds. Came from way overseas. Came to face King Cobra. Face to face in the breeze. Came to break that boulder with the weight of the brave new world and the shoulder blades. This soldier's gonna need some soma when awake from the coma state. I'm so elated. No mistakes. We created it. Golden age. What was up in flames? Now smoldering. Just take a hit. Hold it in. Uh, try hard to fill the gap. Uh, climb to find the hill is flat. Tell me what's the thrill in that. Find my skills and I peeled it back. Slay a beat. Pray for peace. The sanctuary from the raging streets. Breaking free. Make believe. November 2nd. 83. DMT in the space between Tastes like DNA is clean Can't complain, got my basic needs Man, come a little close, let me lay a secret Gem on top, your head it may switch your crown Dude drips down, but won't make a sound when it hits the ground I found my voice when I lost myself Humming, left town Till I came back around, now I am who I wasn't Summon the spirit of summer to come in the moment We're landing and thunder is roaring, it's pouring, it's rain Through the third eye of porous, I see my body pulled apart by horses I wonder how could it happen again, it's so plain to see Water cries in the absence of your reflection Are we on the same page? With the bass and the grace of an 808 I'm in the angel's face with the razor blade Woke up on the stage and stayed to play my role Snake eyes, stimming to those and break a leg Jump, know where to land, find that crown when you hit the ground Touchstone, go for the gusto, wanna stay but I must go When you play with the cutthroat, stick to the hustle Scrape knuckles, shake shadows, pick shackles Battle zone of passage, a coliseum, a temple The sound of one hand clapping and target practice Assassins, essential, ascended masters Are passing torches of medicine, feathers, perception Messages, blessed to be reconnected with Surrender what they say to that dirt under the feet Surrender what they say to that dirt under the feet Okay, shine we all know how it feels to be watched We all know how it feels to be watched not gonna catch me. Yeah. Stay on the radar, cup full of empty. Yeah. Stock in a medley. Yeah. Conquer the fear with the heartbeat deadly. Yeah. Start with the ending. Yeah. Mark of the beast is a godhead etching. Tempt me, do it for the family. All we can be one forever expanding. Test me, bet. Not gonna stress me. Go with the flow, get caught in a eddy. Only one zero, stay afloat at the stream as a clinking count on the blessings. Not gonna catch me bending. Bending before, so I know where I'm heading. Know where the road is now, so I'm holding it down with the bundle of seeds I'll be planting. Came to water more seeds, came to cut through fat. Came to water more seeds, came to cut through fat. Water more seeds came to cut through fat, came to see that through, came to see through that shine on. Shine on. We all know how it feels to be watched. We've been waiting for you, we are here for you. We're here, we are here, we love you. We're here.